for changing us, for equipping us, that we might be the believers that Jesus died for, and that we might walk worthy of your plans and purpose. We pray these things in the precious blood of Jesus, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> we want to continue the series that we've been teaching for the last several weeks. Healing belongs to us. <clears throat> and we are using as text scriptures Matthew chapter 8 and Isaiah chapter 53. <clears throat> Matthew 8 verse 16 when the evening was come they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses <clears throat> Matthew says that he's quoting Isaiah we know that uh, the verse of scripture that he is uh, quoting is in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Matthew is saying that the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verse 4 is in healing all that were sick. Matthew is identifying that Isaiah is saying that healing belongs to everybody. He healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, himself took our sicknesses and carried our infirmities. We've seen and looked at a number of different things regarding the subjects of healing. One of the things that we've seen is that Jesus was our Passover. And in the institution of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12, God brought healing to the children of Israel, the whole nation of Israel. It tells us in Psalm 105 that he brought them forth with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble among them. In Exodus chapter 15, we see that Israel comes to the place, the place called Marah, and there was no water available for them to drink. The waters were bitter, and that might be a reference to poisonous. So Moses was commanded by God to cut down a certain tree and throw the tree into the waters, and it purified the waters. We see also, later in the history of Israel, some 765 years later, Hezekiah becomes king and he reinstitutes the Passover, the sacrifice and such. And it says that God healed the nation. He healed all of Israel. Over and over again, time after time, we see examples in the Bible that healing is made available for every individual. It's not just, as some would say, that God can heal, but it's shown time after time 
that God does heal all that were sick. But we know that Jesus' healing ministry was limited by the faith of the people that, were, that, uh, that he was ministering to. In Luke chapter 4, it tells us of Jesus in his own hometown of Nazareth. Verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were with him that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This scripture is, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Folks, Jesus is claiming that these verses that he's just read from, which everybody understands and knows is uh, pertaining to the Messiah, Jesus is claiming to be that Messiah. This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when the great famine was throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And when they were in the synagogue, all they that were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him upon the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Now Mark chapter 6 tells us, Mark's account is that Jesus could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say that he wouldn't, it says that he couldn't. He could there do no mighty work. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. And then he tried to counteract that unbelief by going around about their cities and villages teaching. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So here we see Jesus who had the spirit of God without measure. Who is the Messiah who's already done healing miracles in Capernaum. He references that. He knows that the people in Nazareth have heard about the things that happened in Capernaum. But here's Jesus the Son of God, anointed with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, and he can't do the things that God wants him to do. He can't perform significant healings or miracles because of their unbelief. The only thing he's able to do is get a few sickly folks, people without much wrong with them, healed by laying hands on them. So here's Jesus the Son of God, the fullness of God in power on the earth. 
who cannot. He knows what he sent to Nazareth to do. He sent to Nazareth to do healings and miracles and bring blessing to people just like he did in Capernaum. But he's limited and is unable to do the, the works that God sent him to do because of the unbelief of the people in Nazareth. Folks, that places the importance of believing and operating in faith like nothing else we could ever see or imagine. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities where most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at that day of judgment than for you. And now Capernaum, which art exalted into the, unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Folks, Jesus ran into unbelief in many of the cities that he performed healings and miracles. It's interesting because Jesus is placing a curse on the cities that he had done the most, uh, had the most miracles and most ministry results. He pronounces a, a curse on Chorazin and Bethsaida. He pronounces a curse upon Capernaum. Well, we know the mighty works that were done in Capernaum are the ones that Jesus referenced when he was talking to the people of Nazareth. So Jesus pronounces a curse on those cities, because they, not because they didn't have the works and the healings and the miracles, but because they didn't recognize what those miracles were supposed to produce in the people of the cities where they were done. Apparently, Jesus expected them to repent after seeing the mighty hand of God and the miracle working power of God in operation. But apparently, the people of these cities just took it as an exciting thing. They recognized that it was the work of God, the hand of God at work, but they didn't let it change their lives. They didn't look for it to make a change in them. They just accepted that it was something that God was doing, maybe a sovereign work of God, and it didn't affect their lives. Mark chapter 8, verse 22, it said, And he came to Bethsaida. This is one of those places that he's cursed. He came to Bethsaida, and they brought, him a, brought a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, 
and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked if he saw it. And he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. After that, he put his hands upon his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go down into the town nor tell it to anybody in the town. There's another example in Matthew chapter 9. It tells us that he just raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Verse 26, and his fame went abroad into all that land. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? And they said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. You remember also in Matthew chapter 8, the first part of the chapter, the first few verses of the chapter, it tells us about a blind man that came to Jesus. I'm sorry, a leper that came to Jesus. And said, Lord, if you, if you will heal me, you can. He believed in the power of God. Perhaps he's seen other people that were healed. Maybe he saw other lepers that were healed. But he's not sure that it's for him. When Jesus hears what he says, he immediately reaches forth and touches him. He's moved with compassion, so he reaches out and touches him. And he cleanses, he cleanses his leprosy. Here in Matthew chapter 9, you've got a situation where Jesus is questioning these two blind men as to whether or not they believe that he can. Jesus was a master at identifying areas of faith, or maybe you should say, and areas of unbelief to bring people to the place where God could minister healing to their bodies. You also remember perhaps in Matthew, in Mark chapter 9, where it tells us about the man that brought his son who would have these seizures and epileptic type fits. And the disciples tried to cast the devil out of him, but he couldn't, they couldn't do it. Jesus comes upon the scene from fresh from the mountain of transfiguration. And he asks, what is everybody talking to the disciples about? He finds out that the disciples attempted to cast the devil out of this little boy, but were unable to bring any results. So Jesus says to the father, that it's going to take faith on his part to free his son. And the father says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Not particularly a rousing declaration of faith there. But it is faith in a mustard seed 
measure, perhaps. And Jesus delivers the little boy from the devil, the work of the devil in his body, and delivers him back to his father. In the Gospels, there are 19 individual cases of healing. It seems like there's more than that because Matthew, Mark, and Luke often tell us the same ones. And so it seems like there's more of them. But there are 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' earthly ministry that are identified and recorded for us in the four Gospels. Of those 19 individual cases, 12 of them specifically identify the faith of the individual that contributes to and brings healing to their bodies or to the ones that they're in charge of. Of the other seven, there are three that imply faith on the part of the individual and the others, the other four are just times when the Holy Ghost initiated the healing power, the healing work, healing miracle. So clearly 75% of the ones that Jesus healed and the healing miracles and the healing results that he got were as a result of the faith of the individuals. Now I want you to look with me to one of these. Look with me to Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 10, and he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, and was bowed together, and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. This word loosed is the root word for redeemed. So Jesus identifies this as a redeeming work, which means that the healing that results is a part of the redemptive work of God's, part of God's redemptive plan that Jesus fulfilled through his death and burial and resurrection. So when Jesus saw her, he said to her, called her to him, and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose to redeem from thy infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him, and said, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has, has bound low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all of his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Now, folks, this is an example where implied faith or where the operation of faith is implied but not specifically identified. 
Notice where we started in this uh, healing event where Jesus is teaching in the synagogues. Verse 10, he was teaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath. Well, Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If Jesus is teaching, then faith is present as a result of the teaching that he's doing. So we can assume that there's faith being exercised on her part toward her healing and toward the healing miracle that takes place, even though it doesn't specifically identify. One of the things that I like about this story is that it shows God's attitude toward healing for his people. Jesus calls her to him, lays hands on her, and she's completely healed from this condition that's got her bowed over in some manner that she's had for 18 years. When the ruler of the synagogue gets mad because Jesus healed on the Sabbath day, Jesus calls him to task, talks to him, calls him a hypocrite for the things that they do, that everybody does, to break the law of Moses on the Sabbath day. And in verse 16, he says, Ought not this woman? Now, folks, this is God's no respecter of persons. So if this is his attitude toward this woman and her condition, then this is his attitude toward anybody of the, his people that are dealing with and battling sickness and disease. So he says, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Here's Jesus saying, Shouldn't she be healed? Here's Jesus carrying out the will of the Father identifying why she should be healed. First and foremost, because she's a daughter of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. Go further in the third chapter of Galatians, the last verse, verse 29, says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means we're as much children of Abraham as she was. So first and foremost, Jesus said, Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be healed? Then secondly, the second point that he makes, the Bible tells us, 1 John chapter 4, that for this purpose was Jesus manifested on the earth, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, here's a work of the devil that's going on for 18 years in this woman's body. Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. So not only is she a candidate for healing, 
not only does healing belong to her because she's the daughter of Abraham, but, because the, but also because this work, this long ongoing work in her was the work of the devil that Jesus was, came to the earth to put an end to. Now I want you to look with me also to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now remember, this is the place that he's cursed as well. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Now, one thing that I want you to consider is that in all of these healing events that we've looked at this morning, there's always a reference made to Jesus being a son of David. That's a shorthand term calling to recognition that these people that come to him for healing recognize that or believe his claim that he's the Messiah. One of the things that got the people in Nazareth in trouble and hindered them from receiving of the power of God is that they wouldn't believe because they thought they knew his parents. They wouldn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah because apparently it was well known, widely known, that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. They assumed that because Mary was married to Joseph, that Jesus was not conceived by the Holy Ghost, but he had a family history just like everybody else had. That rejection of Jesus because of what the people of Nazareth thought they knew about him contributed greatly to their unbelief which kept the power of God from operating for them. But the two blind men called him the son of David. So Jesus just tweaked their faith on the ability part, not the willingness part. So here's this woman who dwells in the place, one of the places that Jesus has cursed, crying out for mercy, have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. 
Folks, notice the persistence of this woman who's trying to get help for her daughter. She won't give up. Jesus didn't even address what she said to him. But she won't leave. So his disciples said, send her away for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Well, we see she's operating in faith. Because Jesus says, according to your will, in other words, according to your faith, be it done unto you. The persistence of this woman is a great contributor to what Jesus identifies as her great faith. What does she have faith in? Apparently, she has faith in the mercy of God. Have mercy on me, O Lord. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Jesus doesn't even answer her. Now, this would be a perfect opportunity for her to be offended. Then Jesus calls her a dog, which is a common term for Gentiles. But she doesn't get upset with that either. What she does do is she takes what Jesus says, which isn't much, but she takes what Jesus says and pleads her case based on that. Jesus says it's not right or appropriate to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. That means Jesus is identifying that the healing power that she's looking for, the delivering power she's looking for, is a part of what belongs to the children of Abraham. Healing is the children's bread. And that implies that it doesn't belong to her. But she doesn't get offended at that either. She builds her case on what he said. And she answers him, Truth, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Her great faith is in the mercy of God. What she has great faith in is the mercy of God. We talk a lot about faith moving mountains. But folks, I want you to realize that faith moves God. Faith changed the will of God concerning the curse that was on the cities of Tyre and Sidon. 
every place that we see or every city that we see that Jesus pronounces a curse upon, he never heals anybody in any of those places from that point forward. The two blind men, they come to him for healing. He takes them outside of the city limits where he spits on their eyes and he brings to them the healing power of God. You may remember several weeks ago, I told you a story of T.L. Osborne, who was a great missionary evangelist. And in some ways, he he revolutionized and changed mass evangelism in the body of Christ. Well, he was getting tremendous results in these evangelistic campaigns in other countries. Blind eyes were being opened. Deaf ears were being opened. Cripples were being healed. There was just a a staggering amount of healings and miracles that were taking place in his crusades. And so the Assembly of God organization invited him to their convention. And they had a question and answer session that he attended. And the people that were attending that convention, all ministers in their own rights, they wanted to know why he got so much greater results than they could get. And he answered the question. They considered it or thought that it would be some complicated thing. But he answers them very simply and says, if I can beat you to a country, then I can get results. But if you get there before I do, I'm going to have very limited results. Because you'll tell them that God sometimes heals, but we never know when he's going to do that. But if I get there before you, I just simply preach Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Folks, one of the things that we need to recognize is that in the day and time that we live in, There's a great deal of teaching, a great emphasis of teaching the Word of God that is trying to persuade people to believe what the Bible says. There was a missionary trip that was put together some years ago, it's been over 20 years ago now. But the missions class at Rayama Bible Training Center went to the Philippines, took a group of students 
to the Philippines. And they worked with some of the people that they knew in that part of the world. And so they separated the mission students and would send them to different places. And this one young girl, just 18 years old, who was part of that class, gave a testimony of all the people that were healed, blind eyes that were open and deaf ears that were open. And it was something that ministered to everybody that was involved. She simply said in telling about the results that they had and the results that they got. She simply said, it was so easy to get people healed. Apparently it was not a place where the gospel had gone before. And so she said, you just barely had to mention the name of Jesus. And people would get healed instantly. There were several places in Jesus' earthly ministry where people would refuse to believe Nazareth being the chief example of that. But beyond that, and this even continued into the early days of the church in the book of Acts, the name of Jesus was magnified to such a degree that it was easy, simple, consistent, where healing miracles and healing power took place. Prior to the church trying to make excuses for a lack of results, a lack of Bible results that are identified in the book of Acts, prior to the church coming up with the devilish doctrine of Paul's thorn in the flesh, can you imagine how many thousands of people over the last 2,000 years have been robbed of the healing power of God because of the false idea that Paul had some sickness that God wouldn't heal him of. F.F. Bosworth in his great book Christ the Healer In the preface to the book, he identifies that if the reader is not thoroughly acquainted with the subject of Paul's thorn in the flesh, then he recommends to them that they start with the chapter that deals with this so-called sickness 
thorn in the flesh thing. The Bible says that God sent his word and healed us. That means that we're going to have to come to the understanding, first and foremost, of what the word says to us about healing belonging to us. And then it means, secondly, that we're going to have to choose to believe what the Word says above church doctrine, above church tradition, and above anything and everything else. This idea that God sometimes heals, but you can't ever tell when he will, has to be overcome by the truth of the word. We've got example after example where multitudes were healed, every one. And, of course, the reason for that is because healing belongs to everyone. The majority of people that seek healing nowadays is that they simply want somebody to pray for them. Pray for their healing. But the Bible says that God sent his word and healed them. It doesn't even say that he sent a special prayer for them. Healing is in the word. The power of healing is contained in the word of God. This woman, this Syrophoenician woman, Builds her case on the word of God. The very few things that Jesus says. Again Jesus finished and said. It's not meat to take the children's bread. And to cast it to dogs. And she said truth Lord. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs. Which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her. O woman great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. She had great faith in the mercy of God. And she refused to allow that faith to be taken from her. She refuses to allow herself to be offended. She refuses to allow what Jesus seems to be saying and the insulting way that he says it 
and she maintains her focus on what she came for. She refuses to be distracted. She refuses to give up. And the result is that her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Smith Wilkersworth used to say that God will pass over a million people to find one person standing in the faith. Faith moves mountains, but even more important than that, faith will move God. God's looking for people that will stand upon his word. He's looking for people that will withstand the adversity of the attacks of the devil. And maintain their stand, maintain their belief in the power in the Word of God, no matter what comes. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is in Proverbs, and it says this If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I believe God's still looking for people with great faith. I believe God's still looking for people that know how to stand upon his word and have set their jaw to refuse to be moved from their stand of faith. Father, we bless you. We recognize and thank you that healing belongs to each and every one of us. That healing is a part of your redemptive plan. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. If not for your word, Lord, we would have been without hope. But we trust you. We trust in your word. We trust in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we thank you 
for the wave of healing that's promised for the last days. We thank you, Lord, for pouring out your spirit upon all flesh. We thank you, Father, for the latter rain that will sweep multitudes into the kingdom of God, sweep multitudes into your family. Be it unto us, even as you've spoken. You sent your word and healed us and delivered us from our destructions. Father, we thank you for answering, providing an answer to the faith that we stand on the promises in the scriptures that we believe will not be distracted we refuse to be offended and therefore father we thank you that it will be unto us even as we have spoken that it will be unto us even as we have believed. We magnify your name, Father. We magnify the healing power of God. Have mercy on us, O oh Lord. Have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Say it with me. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever.